Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. On DAB Plus, online, via the TalkSport app, and on your smart speaker. Women's Football Weekly with Faker Others on TalkSport 2. The only dedicated women's football show on UK national radio. Welcome to Women's Football Weekly. Off the pitch, there's a stark warning from the government. This is beginning to highlight the need to take action in relation to the government of football. Secretary of State for Digital, Culture, Media and Sport, Oliver Dowden, discussing Project Big Picture, which could see funding for a new independent women's league. On the pitch, Emma Hay get the better of rivals Manchester City. The scoreline may not reflect the outcome. I thought we did have quite a few open play chances, so I think we have to really look at that because for the chances we're creating, we need to finish. And it's now 23 goals in four games for Arsenal as they beat Brighton. Miedemar has the fifth. She scored the first, she scored the last. Brighton nil, Arsenal five. They certainly know how to finish all that. Plus, we'll speak to Birmingham head coach Carla Ward as they get their first points on the board. This is Women's Football Weekly, National Radio's only dedicated women's football show. Across the UK, online and on DAB Digital Radio. Hi, I'm Gemma Bonner and you're listening to Women's Football Weekly on TalkSport 2. Hello, hello. This is Women's Football Weekly on Talk Sport 2. I'm delighted to be joined in the studio today by Rich Laverty, football journalist extraordinaire and Sheffield United women's fan as well. How are you doing, Rich? Nice to actually see you face to face. I know. Can't um, do much face to face things anymore, can we? So um, for those of us that are able to actually go to games and, and do things like this, it, um, yeah, it's a bit of a privilege at the minute, isn't it? Yeah, it very much feels like it. Um, and big lot of things to talk about certainly at the moment as well because today we're asking what you all think about these plans to set up a new independent women's football league which is funded by project big picture do you think is a good idea a bad idea why get in touch tweet us at talksport 2 you can also tweet me at faker others or at rich laverty is that right rich j laverty oh rich j what's the j stand for james james rich j laverty right okay 
That is our top story today. And we have very limited details, but what we do know is that a proposal to shake up football in England titled Project Big Picture is creating waves across the world of football. England's big six Premier League clubs, led by Manchester United and Liverpool and backed by the chairman of the EFL, Rick Parry, which looks after the Championship League One and League Two in the men's game. Its relevance to us here at Women's Football Weekly is twofold, really, because the proposal not only includes funding for a new independent women's football league, it also includes a £350 million rescue package for lost revenue because of COVID-19, which would be made immediately available to the EFL and, crucially, to the FA, with £10 million of that earmarked for the Women's Super League. Uh, Now, we're very privileged to be joined by former FA director Dame Heather Rabatz, who's on the show to discuss some exciting new developments with the organisation Women in Football, but has also agreed to discuss this massive story with us. Uh, Good evening, Heather. How are you? I'm all right, thank you. Excellent. I suppose you've been very busy uh, despite lockdown and everything else. We had a chat on the phone either. No parties for either of us, which we're very disappointed about, but plenty of work, I'm presuming. Well, yes, no parties. And I think, you know, in terms of work uh, for so many people, and obviously particularly uh, for those of us who are engaged in sport, it's a very challenging time and the levels of uncertainty when we can get uh, obviously crowds back into stadia just remains you know open questions um and so we're we're all busy sometimes i feel we're busy not going anywhere in particular just trying to keep all of our heads above the waterline as we navigate such you know unknown territory so um it's yeah it's 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 obviously difficult for for so for so many of us engaged in the in the world of sport but we all remain hopeful for the future yeah, you mentioned about getting fans back in. Before we talk about um, this pr- uh, project, um, I, I always forget, I keep wanting to call it all sorts of different names. Project mm. Restart, obviously, was what we talked about uh, before. But Project Big Picture, which doesn't really have the greatest ring to it, I'll be honest. Um, before we get stuck into that, the uh, getting fans back into Stadia is, is, is crucial. Um, mm. And it seems as if there's a lot of um, contradictions predicting information from the government. Um, We're seeing at the moment so many people being allowed in to cultural events. We know that there's going to be uh, people going to the Royal Albert Hall, um, a vast number of people going to the Royal Albert Hall in December, and yet we still can't get football fans back in. Now, here at TalkSport, we're supporting the Let Fans In campaign. What what are your thoughts on, on what's going on here at the moment? Well, as you say, it's still a confusing picture, as it is um, in so many areas of how we contain this pandemic. The government have set up a, a task force to look at how we bring uh, fans back into stadia safely. And I think given current transmission rates, uh, which remain at a worryingly high level, I, I perfectly understand um, the caution. What we need is obviously clear advice. Um, it isn't safe at the moment um, but it's about when we think it might be safe and what are the criteria that are going to be developed so that we can at least everybody can know well if the you know if the rates fall beneath a certain level if there's these levels of safety precautions put in place in stadia 
if you cap the number of fans being able to attend, etc. If these conditions can be met, then we can start letting fans in. I think being able to show a pathway for fans back into stadia is what everybody wants, and hopefully this task force that is being set up might help us all to know a bit more. Fingers crossed. I think information is the biggest thing, isn't it? Because these test events happened, seemed to go very well, were yeah. successful. There were government, mini- government, minis- government ministers even <laughs> at them um, and seemed happy with what was going on. So it feels very frustrating for, for many fans who are desperate to go and watch their team. They understand what they have to do in order to do that and are willing to do that as well. And it just seems as if there's some heel dragging going on, which is incredible. Incredibly frustrating. Yeah, I, I, you know, look, we're all frustrated, aren't we? But I, but also, this is a, a virus that is not under control. There are huge challenges for all of us to contend with, whether it's our own personal safety or the safety of our colleagues and and the sport. And we need we need to get it right. I think what the test event showed was that. You know, football understands how it can implement safety protocol when asked to do so. We just need to have very clear criteria for the future. And we were all looking forward to the work of this of this task force to give us that clarity. Um, and having fans in the stadium we know is important not only for the game and for the audiences and for fans themselves, but obviously also for the financial viability of the club who need those revenues urgently. Yeah, it's really crucial. And actually, Mm -hmm. that's where Project Big Picture kind of comes in. Um, Firstly, though, thoughts on the proposal itself for the whole of football? Well, I, I, like many others, just heard about this story as it as it broke over the over the weekend. Uh, and, you know, I'm not close to all of the detail, but I suppose the point I would try and make is I don't know whether this is the right solution, but clearly we know that there are major financial difficulties um, for many, many clubs because of the pandemic. But also we have known for a number of years that there is an underlying frailty in the current financial model for football clubs that have become so dependent um, on the media rights uh, uh, values that the Premier League sources and, of course, on that distribution. And for many clubs, as we know, they run at a loss. Um, And that is a position that isn't sustainable. And I think what COVID has done has revealed in stark detail, really, the problems of the current model. Now, this proposal is an attempt to try and respond to that, and particularly to respond given the urgency for many clubs who are facing, uh, you know, grave financial difficulties, given the fact that, as we've just been saying, you know, that then, in effect, can't open, open for business. Um, This may well not be the right solution, but I think what it is trying to do is football addressing what it needs to start to think about um, in terms of the future financial model for the game. And I think it also raises how best 
the game can then be governed in whatever new framework might might develop. And no doubt this has been a conversation starter, if you like. Um, many have already joined in around their views uh, around, uh, on, uh, on their positions, whether it's the Premier League um, or indeed the government who, who've stepped into this. But there needs to be a live conversation about how we address the current financial frailties across football. Hi, Heather. It's Rich Laverty here. Um, Hello, Rich. Just following on from what you've said, looking at the long term, I mean, there's some, some very good short-term solutions in part of Project Big Picture, but as you've touched upon, the pandemic has really been an eye-opener to many of the finances in football and how frail they are now that we can't have fans and obviously teams are losing out on a lot of income. How seriously down the line does the discussion need to be in terms of what we can do long term to ensure that this doesn't happen again? Because we don't know how long, obviously, teams are going to be affected by this pandemic. No, we don't know how long uh, the teams are going to be affected by the pandemic. We don't know that for the economy at, at, at large either. And we also probably have to consider how we learn to live with this virus as we all await a, um, a vaccine. So for sport, not just for football, everybody is trying to contend with what, what does this mean for live events. For football in particular, it, it, as we know, it has a financial model which involves many clubs um, running at a loss. And we've seen the financial reports that people like Deloitte publish on an annual basis. They run at a loss because they are seeking the dream of attaining promotion and with that access to further media rights money. And I think it, it is trying to get football to operate, if you like, closer to a business model, which is, you do not run at a loss, which is one of the issues that needs to be attended to. And this proposal is an attempt to do that. Now, it may not work. It might not be the right proposal. But I do think that football absolutely needs to think about how it is run in, in the future. Yeah, that's a really good point, Heather. And the thing is, one of the things that I know a lot of fans are, are really interested in, there was almost... When a lot of the papers were picking up on on this uh, project, big picture, there was almost like a ten point, you know, plan of of what it meant. And thrown in there randomly was this independent football, uh, women's football league and funding uh, for that. I know there's a limited amount that, that that you can say on this, and there's a limited amount of detail out there with regard to this. But but what are your thoughts? As you say, I mean, uh, there's a limited amount I can say on on this particular point. I think whatever uh, model is ultimately decided upon, and that model has to be decided upon by the Premier League in with their collective voice, by the FA, by the English Football uh, League, no doubt by government. Whatever is decided about the future of the game and its sustainability has to be about the future, about the women's game and the men's game um, across the leagues and the professional structure. So that ultimately all of the stakeholders, and it, no doubt it will be a compromise because that is the world that we all know is the real world, that everybody feels that there has been a, ultimately a fair 
settlement. And I think um, that is why um, it, it needs to be a, a, a matter that is discussed by all of the key stakeholders in in the game, the women's game and the men's game. Absolutely, well said. Uh, you are listening to Women's Football Weekly on Talk Sport 2. I'm Faker Others. You were hearing the thoughts there of Women in Football Ambassador, former FA Director and founder of Women's Sport Group, Heather Rabatz, and journalist Rich Laverty as well. Women's Football Weekly, don't forget, is the only show on national radio dedicated to women's football. We're here every Monday, 6 till 7pm, bringing you everything you need to know in the game. And if you miss any or you want to listen again, we're available on podcasts. So you can download us and subscribe on Apple and Spotify. Products. Uh, next up, more from Dame Heather Rabatz on a renewed manifesto for women in football. Women's Football Weekly with Faye Carruthers. Hi, I'm Frank Kirby, and you're listening to Women's Football Weekly on Talksport 2. Uh, this is Women's Football Weekly on Talksport 2 with me, Faker Rothers, former FA director, founder of Women's Sport Group, and Women in Football ambassador Dame Heather Rabatz, and journalist Rich Laverty in the studio with me. Uh, so, Women's Football Weekly is in its regular 6 till 7 pm slot every Monday night on Talksport 2. And as you all know, we have a new regular feature that we want you all to get involved in. So, every week we pick a person, a club, an organization, or maybe an event from the world of women's football to shine our spotlight on. But we want you to come up with some suggestions suggestions of whose story you would like to hear is there maybe a player a coach or a team either past or present who you'd like to know a little bit more about if so tweet us at talksport2 or at faker others or you can email on women's football weekly at talksport.co.uk with your suggestions and we'll certainly see what we can do uh, now it's a different kind of spotlight this week because we're very privileged to have dame heather rabats on with us so we're shining a light on the organization women in football uh, we did a women in football special last season with CEO Jane Purden and Ambassador Anna Kessel discussing all the amazing work that the organisation is doing. But last week, they launched a brand new manifesto and results of a shocking survey. Um, Heather Rabatz, you're here to tell us a little bit more about this. We'll go into the survey shortly, but it was a new brand launch for, for women in football, wasn't it? With quite a striking manifesto. Yes, it was. And I think, you know, women in uh, in, in football, uh, and I was one of the founders when a few of us uh, fitted into one of our living rooms when you could meet in person, <laughs> those were the days, um, and, and now is an organisation that obviously, you know, embraces uh, thousands of uh, women engaged in the sport, whether they work in it, whether they play in it. Um, and I think that the, 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 the rebrand was as much a testimony to the journey that women in football has been on, but also to the increased profile and resonance around women's football in the world of sport and how it has um, grown and gained momentum. So the rebrand is very much reflecting this bigger change that's been taken um, taking place and also obviously to highlight the results of the survey as you said that um, uh, we've just launched. Yeah so we'll get on to the survey in a second but I mean I think people need to realise exactly the amazing work that women in football do because there are so many women involved in football at every single level across the game from from coaching to management to um, uh, on on boards and in the boardroom, and and it's vital that we make sure that this is an even playing field for everybody, and the opportunities are there. And there's a lot of coaching that goes on with women football that I don't think that many people know. 
I've been very lucky myself to to do the leadership courses and I've just been offered a scholarship to study with the University of Liverpool. Oh, um, doing, well I, thank you very much. I'm very excited about it. Yeah, doing an yeah. MBA in football industries and I, I can't wait. And they, these kind of opportunities just weren't available when you first started this organisation. You know, you, you know, you are a supreme um, superwoman, Heather Abatz. Oh, and, no, you no, know, definitely not a superwoman. <laughs> well, you are, believe me. You're a trailblazer and it's vital that people see the kind of uh, path that you've taken and what you've done and not taking no for an answer and that these opportunities are available. Well, I certainly, well, thank you, first of all, for those very kind words. And um, I, I'm definitely uh, not a superwoman. And if you were to see me at the moment, I'm, I'm, I'm still sitting, I think, in pyjamas I started the day with. Good work. I'm so jealous. <laughs> Um, and all those other things that we're all battling with in this in this um, in, in, in this new era. But you, I think what you are absolutely right to say, and what women in football has done uh, over the years since its inception, has not only shine a light on the issues around women in football, but to try and also offer real practical support. Um, to enable women to progress in the game, to learn new skills and to have new insight. And more importantly, I think, to share with other women in the, in the game their experiences and to grow in their confidence. Because we know that for many women in football, they are, I was talking to a woman lawyer in a club not long ago, you know, she's the only woman, you know, in the team in the club at a senior level. So there have been many more women come into the game, but they're often still isolated. And what women in football offers is an opportunity of community, of a safe space, of a place where you can meet other colleagues and you can share experiences, and when you, where you don't feel, oh, my gosh, is, is it just me? Um, and I think that's of, that's of huge importance, and that is backed up with... Um, the, the courses, the coaching, the support that women in football then offer in very practical ways. So not only do we get, uh, do we try and, as we say, shine a light on practice and what is happening in the day-to-day -day reality of, of women in football, I think we also try and work with as many women as we can in terms of supporting them on their journey in the game which is really, really important. And I know Rich Laverty has sat opposite me. He's one of the few men that's in a, a women's football um, press box because, you know, there are so many women in, in the women's game and not as many men, actually. But the, the, the amazing thing about women in football, which I think many people don't really understand, is that we have so many male allies as well. And actually working together is exactly what is going to propel everybody forward to make this a more inclusive industry. Unfortunately, though... The Women in Football survey that came out, the biggest one that, that, that you've done, 4,200 members um, surveyed and mm. concluded that two-thirds of women working in football have experienced gender discrimination in the workplace. But actually, only 12% of those incidents were reported. And we've talked about these kind of things before. There's a fear factor with this, isn't there? There, there, there is still a fear factor. I, I think what's also important for us all to recognise that, that sadly football's not alone, um, I mean, I chair Times Up alongside my work in women in sport. And if you, you know, talk to, as I have done, women in the film and television industry, there's also fear there. And clearly 
the work of, uh, of Time's Up and in women in football in particular has been to encourage women to speak out. And it's still really heartbreaking to, to read those statistics of how many women experience discrimination, how many women don't feel able um, to, 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 to come forward. But the, the, the survey does also point to the fact that women are feeling more confident about sharing these issues with their work colleagues, male allies, as, as, you, as you've mentioned. And I think that one of the reasons, you know, we've worked so hard around this survey and its, and its publication is, again, to encourage women to, to come forward, to seek support and, and advice through women in football and, importantly, with their work colleagues. I think um, more women are surprised by the level of support that they will get from their work colleagues. Now, I'm not saying you don't come up against obstacles. Of course you do. But, you know, one of my messages in all of my working life to, um, to women has been find your allies. You know, if you're a lone voice, it's a very, very difficult space, but find your allies. And this survey is, is, is also underlying the point that those alliances are increasingly being made. They absolutely are, and that's a wonderful place to, to end as well. A fantastic piece of advice. Dame Heather Abatz, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so well, much for joining us. Thank you so us. much, and I'm sorry if I lost you for a few minutes, but it's been great to talk you with didn't you all. In, so you much. didn't at all. You were wonderful. Thank you very much. I hope to have you, you on again soon. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Bye. Dame Bye-bye. Heather Abatz there, um, wonderful Women in Football ambassador, one of the founders of Women in Football, in fact, um, and, of course, former FA director as well. Some fascinating points there. Don't forget, we still want you to get involved today. Uh, We're asking what you think about plans to set up a new independent women's football league funded by Project Big Picture. Is it a good idea? Bad idea? Want to know a little bit more? Uh, Get in touch. Tweet us at TalkSport2. You are listening to Women's Football Weekly on TalkSport2. I'm Faker Others. Thanks again to the wonderful Heather Abatz for joining us. Rich Laverty is also with me in the studio. We will hear more from him, I promise, in the second half of the show. If you miss any of today's show, you can catch up by downloading Downloading and subscribing to our podcast, which is available through Apple and Spotify products. You just need to search TalkSport Women's Football Weekly. So coming up, myself and Rich Laverty will be going through all the WSL results from the weekend on the only dedicated national radio show for women's football. Women's Football Weekly with Faye Carruthers. Hi, I'm Leah Williamson from Arsenal Women and you can follow the WSL on TalkSport too. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. 
millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This is Women's Football Weekly on TalkSport 2, the UK's only national radio show dedicated to women's football. I'm Faker Ruthers, and I'm joined by journalist Rich Laverty. Right, let's get into the WSL results, shall we? Uh, Chelsea 3, Manchester City 1. Frank Kirby through and the keeper's come out and he's stranded and that is brilliant. Fantastic from Frank Kirby. How welcome her return to action has been for Chelsea. Full time here, Chelsea 3, Manchester City 1. I thought defensively as a team from the front, uh, we carried out what I asked us to do. And we did that with a lot of diligence in the first half. I don't know how many chances we had, but I think the scoreline um, may not reflect the outcome. I thought we did have quite a few open play chances. So I think we have to really look at that because for the chances we're creating, we need to finish. And it's Chloe Kelly charged with the responsibility. And she scores. And it's game on. We weren't quite at our, our very best. We had some decent spells. We played some some good moments, but I thought we were a little bit slow to second balls. But I thought it was small margins within the game. I didn't think there was a lot in it at all. Oh, what a mistake here by Lucy Bronte. Erin Cuthbert! We've been working on a front press, and I think finally today it all came together. Um, we nullified their threats, and we were really uh, ruthless going forward. We could have probably even scored more in the game. of Erin Cuthbert, Gareth Taylor and of course Emma Hayes, Chelsea manager as well. Rich, what did you make of this game? There was a very strange situation when uh, Chelsea were awarded the penalty. Yeah, it was difficult. I mean, we're so quick to criticise referees and the ball's moving so fast. Ellen White's kind of jumped with her, with her arms out and, and obviously it's just clipped Demi Stokes on the, on the waist before it's gone past Ellen and yeah, you look at slow motion replays, you can tell it's hit obviously Demi and, it, and it's not a handball but for the referee she probably just sees Ellen White with her arms up sees the ball deflect and, and gives a penalty obviously we don't have VAR and such luxuries in the WSL <laughs> so um, yeah but at the end of the day obviously it's a bad decision and you know whether it would have whether the game would have been different I'm not sure it would with the chances Chelsea had but I can understand why obviously Man City are um, yeah but um, feel it was a bit unjust this played out as a three-all draw last season. Um, it was a little bit more Chelsea dominant this time round. It was, yeah. And Chelsea are just like that. You know, they'll create, you know, even if they only score two or three, they'll create 10, 15 chances a game. I think the issue with Manchester City is they create maybe only three or four sort of big chances in a game and therefore they have to take them when they come around. And I think they'll be a bit worried about their record against that the, the big two, Chelsea and, and Arsenal, particularly away from home. You know, they've not got a very good record away at Chelsea or away at Arsenal recently. And, and that has to change because really, you know, all they had yesterday was a penalty. So, yeah, I think um, it's early days. Obviously, new manager, new style. You know, after six, six, seven years of, of Nick Cushing and, and Nick Cushing's reign didn't get off to the perfect start. So it's going to take time. But, um, 
yeah, they need to um, start turning it around in, in the big games sooner rather than later. Yeah, they're fifth in the table at the minute, uh, five points behind Arsenal and Everton who lead um, with uh, four out of four wins. Um, Emma Hayes said that Chelsea were ruthless, could maybe have had some more um, dominant and aggressive and comfortable winners in the end. So Chelsea kind of turning it on a little bit at the minute. Yeah, and they needed to. Obviously, they dropped points on the opening day and had a few questions thrown at them then. Obviously, Sam Kerr's had some questions thrown at her and, you know, she did miss a couple of chances yesterday, but she scored and I think she's got three and four now. So, you know, she's starting to turn things around a little bit. Frank Kirby's been superb since she's come back in, Erin Cuthbert as well. And we're nowhere near probably seeing the best of, obviously, Penelia Harder either. So, um, yeah, I think for Chelsea, it's just starting to click a little bit now, which um, should probably worry everybody else. Mm. Um, interesting times. Uh, Hope Powell had one of those weeks. Named FAWSL Manager of the Month for September. Brighton Manager, of course. That draw against Manchester City probably contributing to that, which again backs up exactly what you said about Manchester City. But then they go and lose 5-0 to Arsenal. This is how this game played out. Crowded out of it by Brighton, but manages to get the ball back in. And Miedemar! She scored the first, she scored the last. Viviana Miedemar makes it Brighton nil, Arsenal 5. Fans, I'm so happy to get my first professional goal. Thanks to Viv for the assist. Uh, great performance from the girls and bring on Tottenham next week. Come on the Gunners. That was Lotta Wuben moy there. Come on the Gunners indeed with... Uh, a little um, message for the fans posted out on Arsenal's Twitter account. Ha ha ha, 23 goals in four games is insane, Rich Laverty. It is, and, and that's what Arsenal do. You know, sometimes in the big games, they're not quite there, whether it's tactically or whether it's the squad depth. But in these games, you know, we've seen already this season, Reading, I think it was 6-0, West Ham, it was 9. You know, it was somewhat of a surprise. They only put three past Bristol, obviously, who've had a difficult start. And then... Yeah, Brighton, you know, have been pretty defensively resolute, but when you come up against Miedemar and Van der Donk and Mead and, you know, whoever else they've got, you know, Caitlin Ford had a good game. So, you know, that's what Arsenal can do. They're just they're flat-track bullies against the sides that are sort of outside the top four or five. And, you know, they're going to rack the goals up and their goal, goal difference may well be very important. And their goal difference already is by far better than anybody else's. I think the question with Arsenal will be, when they play Chelsea, when they play Man City, who obviously they've been beaten by both of those in the last few weeks in the Cups. Um, it's how they resolute enough tactically and with the squad depth to um, get the results because, you, you know, if you're scoring nine against West Ham, it's not going to be any use if you're not picking points up in the big games. Mm, Cups not going so well for them, but league... They are absolutely laying down their marker. As you said, the goal difference there at 20, which is seven uh, more than Everton, who are in second place. Um, 100% start to the season. Joe Montemuro, proud of the team, uh, said there's been lots of games which has been tough. I mean, he's got a small squad, but he always loves to have put a dig in there, doesn't he? He does, but you know, we've talked a lot about Arsenal and their small squad over the, the last few years since Joe's been manager and... You know, I think it has come back to bite them at times, you know, when they've had key injuries and, and they've got injuries now. Steph Catley is out injured, Lisa Evans and, and Jill Rudd obviously got injured on international duty. And, you know, you just worry don't, over the course of a season, you know, they don't have Europe this year. But, you know, in, in the Cups, you know, as the games come thick and fast, you know, you look at Chelsea squad and, 
you know, they could put a second 11 out that would probably still be a top three, four side in the WSL. So I think even with Manchester City, you know, I don't think their depth is, is still quite there. But um, yeah, I think with Arsenal, it is going to be crucial. If they can pick the points up against Chelsea and Man City, then they've got every chance of winning the league. But that is going to be, I think, the sticking point for them in mm. the big games. Joe Montemuro said that Brighton are going to trouble a lot of teams this year and they certainly look like it as well. They had a really bright start. They did. They had chances and Denise O'Sullivan has been absolutely fantastic and, you know, what a coup that was for them to bring in someone who's been, you know, the MVP at the WSL Champions the last two seasons and, you know, she was really lively on um, on Sunday. So I think with Brighton, it's just scoring goals. You know, they, they, they can get the nil-nils. You know, they nicked a point on Man City, but... They've only scored two goals so far this season and with them, it's always a case of who's the number nine, you know, who's going to get the goals for them. But I think they're defensively resolute enough that they will be, you know, fine. I think when you look at, obviously, the goals that Bristol are leaking and, and Aston Villa. So, yeah, I think Hope Powell is savvy enough and experienced enough to see Brighton through and, and I think they will. I think they'll make life difficult for, for other teams when they come up against them. Mm. Uh, one of the games postponed this weekend was Aston Villa against Bristol City. There'd been a positive COVID-19 case in the Villa camp. Several other players self-isolating as well after coming into contact with the player. Uh, they're following government protocols, isolating to prevent further spread of the virus and the FA has agreed to postpone their next two fixtures. So that includes next week's match against Chelsea as well and just outside of women's football I just want to bring you an update from uh, the PFA, the Professional Footballers Association who's agreed to provide funding to the EFL to support clubs in auditing EFL COVID-19 protocols at training grounds and match day stadiums for the rest of the 2020-2021 season. I mean that's something if there was somebody who could provide some money like that to uh, the WSL and the championship would be very very welcome wouldn't it to try and get fans back in? 100% yeah I mean, obviously, I've been quite up close with Sheffield United and the protocols that we're having to put in place. And it's different for every club. Every club we've been to, obviously, we were at Coventry yesterday and we've been to London City and, and obviously Aston Villa as well. And, and every club's completely different in terms of the protocols they have. Um, everyone's doing their own thing for what's right for them and obviously the size of their stadium and things like that. So, um, yeah, I think, you know, if we had that security for the rest of the season, like the EFL now do, it would be great. Obviously, everyone's still being tested and everyone's obviously playing behind closed doors. But, um, yeah, obviously, this is going to carry on for a while. And, yeah, if we had that extra bit of financial security I think particularly for you know maybe not so much teams like ourselves who are probably more fortunate but some of the independent sides in the or the lower league sides in the championship I think it would um, I think it would make people a few people sleep a bit easier at night it certainly would you're listening to Women's Football Weekly on TalkSport 2 I'm Faker Others joined by journalist Rich Laverty if you miss any of the show you can catch up by downloading the TalkSport app or you can subscribe to our podcast on Apple and Spotify products uh, next though we're going to hear from Birmingham head coach Carla Ward after their first win of the season Women's Football Weekly with Faker Others. Hello, this is Kelly Chambers from Red FC Women. You're listening to Women's Football Weekly on Talk Sport 2. You are listening to Women's Football Weekly on Talk Sport 2. I'm Faker Others, joined by journalist uh, Rich Laverty. Now, we had a few other games over the weekend as well. It's Graham! Two goals for Lucy Graham. Final score here, Everton 3. West Ham United 1. On the header, loops in. So well taken from the set piece. Mealy Turner with that looping header at the hive. Tottenham 0, Manchester United 1. 
Good ball in from Howard. This could be a real chance. And Birmingham City have taken the lead here. Mailing with a cross in from the right-hand side. Reading nil, Birmingham City one. We'll discuss Everton's 3-1 win over West Ham and Tottenham's 1-0 defeat to Manchester United shortly. But first of all, that 1-0 win for Birmingham against Reading was uh, new Birmingham City women head coach Carla Ward's first points on the board since she took over. And I'm delighted to say she joins us here on Women's Football Weekly. Congratulations, Carla. Is that a little bit of relief? I would say so, yeah. Um, it's been a bit of a turbulent, I'd say, six weeks. But... Um, an enjoyable one, but I suppose getting off the mark always always makes you settle a little bit. Certainly it does. Now listen, I'm with um, Rich Laverty, football journalist, who of course you know very well from your time at Sheffield United. He's been waxing lyrical about you before and certainly did when we've had him on the show talking Sheffield United uh, before. So I know he's got a few questions for you. Hey, Wadi. How you doing? All right. Yeah, I'm very good, thank you. Congratulations, obviously, on the win. Um, I know we've sort of jokingly spoke about this even earlier today before I knew I would be interviewing you, but you obviously, with Sheffield United last year, coached a very attacking team, and obviously you said a lot about how you were an attacker and how you wanted to coach attacking football. But with Birmingham, obviously it's been a little bit back to the wall in most games. How have you kind of found that period of adapting to now coaching a team where it's obviously very different to, to where you were last season? Yeah, I think initially when I went in, and I know we joke about it all the time because you always tell me that we couldn't defend last year. So <laughs> um, That's true. when when I went when I went into Birmingham, the the question was asked initially because everyone knows I like to an attack. Now what we've tried to do is still put an element of that in, but certainly this year we know that potentially nine times out of ten we're going to be the second best team on paper. So number one, we had to, to get be defensively secure, we had to be organised, and we had to make sure that we had a group ready to fight, and um, we certainly have got that now. And I know it was a defeat to, to Chelsea in the end, but you limited them to one when they've been quite rampant this season. Yeah, I mean, listen, Chelsea were an unbelievable side and, and they were fascinating. Even that day, you sat still on the watch line, uh, touch line and you almost want to clap them at times. But um, we knew that we had to limit them space. We knew if um, we put bodies behind the ball, it would be difficult. Um, so, yeah, we were... We, despite the defeat, we came away fairly pleased with, with the outcomes of our performance. And how are you settling in? Um, I, I know, obviously, you, you were at Sheffield United for, for a long while, but uh, it must be a different different um, challenge to, to go to a, a, another club. Yeah, it's, do you know what? I've settled in really well. It's, um, you know, the girls are great, the staff are great, and... Um, Obviously, everybody knows when I went in, we had limited numbers. So we kind of had to really try and rally a group together that um, understood the situation, understood that it was going to be a transitional year, understood that it was going to be difficult and um, and, and we're ready for a challenge. And, and to be honest, you know, we got the right people in that, that knew and wanted to be part of that. So, um, no, it's been, do you know what, it's been really enjoyable. Um, you know, people probably looked at Birmingham and think, you know, it's an easy three points every week. But... I'd like to think now we're showing um, a tight knit and a togetherness and actually uh, we're showing that we're not going to be the whipping boys of the league as such. How important is that morale and momentum as well going into obviously another massive game this weekend against Bristol? Yeah, and look, it's, it's, it was good and I said to the girls straight after the game, you know, this is, this is a, a good victory and a good feeling, but... You know, if they want that feeling again, um, we've got to come in tomorrow ready to work harder than we did last week. Uh, we've got to keep keep building on the process. We can't rest for the fact we've got three points. You know, we want more. Um, so we've got to keep building and keep believing. 
but for morale, it's good. Um, you know, even even in def- with, you know on the back of the defeats against um, Everton and Chelsea, the morale was still good. So we've got to keep building. We've got to keep getting better. We've still got so much work to do, but um, you know these girls are ready for it. So um, we'll get there, I'm sure. Looking forward to seeing how you get on for the rest of the season, Carla. Thank you so much for coming on Women's Football Weekly. Thank Hopefully, you. we'll get Pleasure. you in the studio soon. Definitely. All right. Lovely Pleasure. to talk to you. Congratulations again. Take care. And you. Cheers. Carla Ward, Birmingham City women's head coach there on uh, Birmingham's first points of the season with that defeat um, over Reading. Uh, right, a couple more results just to chat through. Everton 3, West Ham 1. Difficult times for Matt Beard and West Ham. I feel awful because he was in the studio with us here on uh, Women's Football Weekly a few a few weeks ago before that massive uh, Arsenal defeat. Hopefully we can get him back in and get him some um, good luck running. But Everton have been absolutely fantastic this this season still four wins out of four and they're only second on goal difference rich yeah and i don't think it should be a surprise really willie kirk's a very very good coach you know there's a reason he obviously got bristol promoted there's a reason casey stoney wanted to take him to manchester united and there's a reason everton wanted to take him away so quickly so you know he's been backed he's been well backed and and the, but you know you've got to buy the right players it's easy having the money and, and going out and buying who you want to buy but you know, he's bought some established internationals, but he's also stayed true to who he knows. You know, he brought Lucy Graham in last season, who he knows very well. Poppy Pinson, who I know he looked at a lot at Bristol just before he left. And, you know, obviously Izzy Christensen, I mean, she came back in, mm. in January and didn't play, obviously, with the pandemic starting. But, you know, she's been superb and probably a breath of fresh air for the team and for her personally as well. And obviously the FA Cup final coming up in a few weeks too, which is which is huge for them. Obviously beating Chelsea in the quarterfinal was a huge statement. And, Look, whether they'll still be up there at the end of the season, it's going to come down to obviously those big games when they do have to face, you know, the Uniteds, the Cities, the Arsenals, the Chelsea's. But, you know, they've shown they can beat Chelsea. So, um, you know, why not? They've, they've said, I think, privately they're aiming for Champions League. And, you know, I think they'll probably look at some of the results so far and some of the other teams that are dropping points and think, well, why not? You yeah. know, I think the sky's the limit for them. I'm really looking forward to seeing what they can do this season. You know, I, I'm all for a mega competitive women's super league and that means breaking the top three and I think there really are some teams that have the chance of doing that one of them is Manchester United 1-0 win over Tottenham of course both these sides uh, promoted the season before last into the WSL tough times for Tottenham they did have the chance through Rosella Ian uh, to score earlier on um, both Tobin Heath and Katie Zellum were denied by some great goalkeeping from Becky Spencer as well it ended up being a bit of a tight and scrappy game uh, but Millie Turner scored from a looping header eventually to give Casey Stoney's side all the points. Uh, right, so that leaves the table like this. Arsenal at the top, 12 points. Everton just behind them on goal difference, also 12 points. Third, Chelsea, then Manchester United, then Manchester City. And then mid-table, Reading, Brighton, uh, Birmingham City have moved themselves up to eighth. You heard from uh, their head coach, Carla Ward, just there. And then struggling at the bottom, obviously Bristol City and Aston Villa didn't play this weekend because their game was postponed. Um, but they sit on zero points just below Tottenham and West Ham who have one each. Uh, Rich, we've run out of time, which is such a shame, but always a pleasure to have you in and great to have you actually finally in the studio thank you for coming um in and i really hope you'll come back 
Absolutely. Excellent. Good. Um, by the way, it was Rich Laverty who got Carla Ward on for us. So thank you very much for that. Connections everywhere. Uh, right. Pleasure to have you with us. Thanks to uh, Dame Heather Abatz, Carla Ward, and of course, Rich Laverty as well. Next week, Crystal Palace goalkeeper Chloe Morgan's with us. So don't miss that. Any questions for us during the week, you can email at womensfootballweekly at talksport.co.uk, tweet us at talksport2 or at Faker Others. And as ever, if you miss any of the show or you want to listen back to any of our lockdown specials you can download the women's football weekly podcast on apple and spotify products on dab plus online via the Talksport app and on your smart speaker women's football weekly on Talksport 2 the home for women's football hold up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Britain feels broken, but how do we fix it? Westminster just doesn't seem to have the answers, but we have found some people who do. Join me, journalist Becca Hudson, and me, the former MP Ed Vasey, for How I'd Fix. From the price of a pint to the housing crisis, this is the show where we take an alternative look at the problems plaguing the nation. And hear practical solutions from those in the know. Catch new episodes of How I'd Fix wherever you get your podcasts. Rebuilding Britain starts here.